Hi guys, welcome back to Skincare Anarchy. This is Ekta, and I have with me today the Deputy Beauty Director for Cosmopolitan, Lauren Balsamo. Welcome to the show, Lauren. I'm so excited you're here. Hi. Hey, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, I want to get started by you telling us about your career background and what got you into beauty and, you know, how you got to where you are now. Yeah. So um, I've been in the industry for probably like eight years now, which feels like a really long time. Um, I started, I think I was most interested in magazines in general at first. I've loved magazines forever, just like the whole experience. Um, And then when I had my first internship in PR, I was doing beauty and fashion. And I was like, what is going on on the other side of this relationship? Like, who are these people that I'm pitching? Like, that really seems like the job that I want. So I did um, a few internships at Hearst and then finally landed a freelance beauty assistant role at Cosmo. And God, it was print only back in like 2013. Um, And then I've been there ever since, which is really crazy. And obviously my job has changed so much since... I started started out. I mean, I started out on a team of five people who only did print. And now I'm on a team of five people who literally do it all print, digital, social. So it's um it's changed a lot and and for the better, I think. Yeah, that must have uh, really increased the responsibility, right? Um you got it's like digital and print, no. Yeah, I think like um listen, I think we all love print and it all has a special place in everyone's heart, but yeah. I don't necessarily think, you know, you don't, you don't see new print magazines coming up every day. So um, I think it's just really important to be able to like diversify and be able to create content on multiple platforms. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I want to dive deeper into like your day-to-day role and like how it, like, you know, what, what can you walk us through like the day? Like, what do you um, usually have to deal with during your day and um, the decisions and stuff that you have to make? Yeah. So I feel like if you asked me this question this time last year, I'd have a really different answer for you. But now that um, I work remote and all of Cosmo works remote and, you know, it's it's just a very different world. My day to day is really different. But um, in my hybrid team, I mostly oversee our print beauty content and then contribute to digital. Um, And then I'm always working with my digital counterpart and the other director on our team to sort of make sure that like everything is, everything is happening that needs to be happening. We're, we're out in the marketplace We're we're covering the stories that need to be covered. But, um, for print specifically, it's interesting because, you know, we work really far ahead right now. Our team is working on the May, June issue, which are like May, June, that seems like a lifetime away. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the day-to-day is, you know, editing a ton, writing, sort of planning strategically how our content will live, whether it's, you know, in print, in digital, is there a social rollout component, um, sort of planning for shoots, which are happening remotely over Zoom, which has been really interesting to sort of see. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, we've done a bunch of shoots this year, but I haven't been on any, which is really interesting. So it's a lot of... Um, you know, I actually think the good thing about shoots or a positive about shoots on Zoom is that you have to be even more collaborative and flexible. And, you know, it feels a little weird as an editor because you're like, I have no control over this. Like, you know, I'm, I'm they're in LA and I'm here in my house in New Jersey on Zoom. Um, yeah. But the end result, I think, is always really special. And it's just a different way of working that we all have gotten used to. 
Yeah, no, I can imagine that. Um, and I actually want to like take that conversation a little further because um, I know that there's a lot of, you know, a, a lot of new perspectives and a lot of new things that have come up now, you know, when, since COVID started with, every, you know, everybody being at home. And I know you were um, touching on that earlier about, you know, Cosmo being remote, but even for the consumers and the, and the readers, like, what are some of the challenges um, now that everyone has been at home for literally like forever now, like that, yeah. you know, maybe that you've had to face, you know? I think, I think there's like pros and cons to both. So I think that COVID has made everyone in the beauty space a little bit more just like like everyone's just more self-aware I think and for the better like you know things that seemed like oh my god I'm freaking out over my breakout seems so trivial and ridiculous that you need to like put things into perspective and I think that's really important you don't want to get wrapped up you know at the end of the day I always say like it's we're talking about lipstick and create face creams and like while they're empowering and important and like you know a part of our everyday lives you know it's it's nothing worth like losing your mind over um, yeah yeah so I, I think I think to that point COVID has helped people put things into perspective but it's also I mean think about like I just saw on Instagram today that Becca which is like a brand that I've loved since I first started working in beauty is closing in the fall and I mean you have to think that that's definitely a downside to COVID is that like, how can these brands, you know, stay afloat and continue to like make products and keep people engaged in like such a crazy world? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the, I think that's the one thing about beauty that I always find interesting is that, you know, it's not just about like a cream or a makeup. It's, it's like people use it as like a, a way to feel good. Even if you're shopping, you know, and like you buy something you really like, like that feeds into like the whole consumer experience. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I just find it interesting how like buying habits or, you know, from a reader standpoint for a magazine, how that's changed, you know, because of the pandemic. So um, that's interesting. Um, what yeah, you said. I think specifically from like a shopping and like we like listen there's nothing better than treating yourself to like a cool new beauty thing um but I also think like we have to be aware of the fact that people have lost their jobs in COVID people are like working reduced hours you know it it feels like a little tone deaf to recommend a hundred dollar cream when there's people who you know most people are like in in a financially tough situation right now. So I think it's it's like, how can we make people feel good about making these purchases, but also advocate for people making these response, these purchases responsibly. Absolutely. Um, I, I actually, you know, for me growing up, Cosmo was always this like really, um, cutting edge kind of magazine. You know what I mean? Like there was always like, like, the articles and the topics were always like kind of breakthrough. They were things that mm-hmm. nobody else was really talking about. So how has, uh, you know, how has that been for you? Like just growing within the magazine itself? Like, I mean, has that kind of stayed the same? Have you seen it shift? Like, you know, um, in I terms think, of the, yeah. I, I think to, something that's really interesting is I totally agree with you. I think Cosmo is like really incredible at telling young people and people who are you know in their 20s early 30s like what they need to know to live their life to the fullest and best um but I I also think there's something really cool about how print and digital are working together now and that we have so much insight from um digital as to like what our reader is craving what they want what they're interested in that we can create content that sort of strikes a balance between giving them what they want, but also telling them what we think they need to know. 
That's interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you need that anyways to be a good publication. That's, that's, that's good though. That's, yeah, that's I mean, yeah. when I was doing print only, like you're, we're not like creating content based on insights, you know, we're, we're sort of being like, what's a trend? What's upcoming? Like, what's this expert that you've talked to that has told you this? Like, you know, what's something interesting and reported. And of course we still do that. But I mean, I also think it's interesting. Like we have stats that like 99% of our reader is concerned about acne. So obviously we're really going to lean into acne. And, and I think, um, yeah, it's definitely a mix of what's cutting edge, but also like, what do people just need? What's like the real yeah. genuine service and information that they need? Because I mean, listen, we all have access to like Google, but how much misinformation is out there that if we can be a trusted source for important information, I think that's, that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because I think that, you know, beauty publications have such an impact on not only the youth, but even like those of us that grew up with them, you know, mm-hmm. and so like, trusting the advice of editors and beauty directors has kind of been like this, um, I guess, a culture, you know, especially in the millennial generation, it's it, it really has been and I think um, the transition to digital might be some and for me, it's interesting, because I just wonder like how people consume that information now versus before. But um, it makes sense everything you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I still like to think that editors are like the OG influencer in a way. But of course, oh, yeah, like everybody has a like a, a platform and something where they can give information, which I think is great. Hey, the more the merrier, like the more information and options that you can give people, like gives them a better opportunity to make an informed decision, whether it's like buying a product or like finally making a trip to the dermatologist to address a skincare concern or something like that. Yeah. And I want to actually talk to you about that in terms of dermatology and um, the medical science behind skincare, um, especially. How has that changed? Like, you know, in terms of like, because obviously in the last few years, you know, I think everyone's noticed like skincare, especially has gone a lot more towards this medical side, you know, and people Mm -hmm. want more answers. They want more uh, explanations more than anything, I think, you know, especially about ingredients and um, what something can do for their skin. So how has that changed your role? And um, have you been, you know, working more with dermatologists and, you know, have you, what have you noticed that's changed um, with that? So I definitely think that everybody, like the amount of information, you know, just to what we were talking about before is because there's so information that so much information that people who like, everyone's a mini dermatologist. It's crazy. Like I talk to even friends who are not in the beauty space and they like, they're familiar with niacinamide and like forms of vitamin C. And I'm just like, that is so impressive. You know, Um, to that point that doesn't replace regular, like regular dermatologists. There's a reason that people go to med school. Um, but I think in terms of content, like even just the stories we would put out, like in the past, it would be like, I don't know, TK ways to fade hyperpigmentation. And now it's a deep dive on like azelaic acid or something like such a specific ingredient that maybe two years ago knew and knew about. And I also think a lot of that has to do with brands who, who come out with products that are ingredient driven, you know, it's not like a glow serum. It's a niacinamide serum. Yeah. And I, you know, I actually want to ask you, Lauren, because I have a hard time understanding how in the world um, editors and beauty directors, how you guys deal with um, sifting through all these products that are pretty much saying, okay, this is our main active ingredient is it's the same, you know what I mean? And like five Mm -hmm. different products. Um, How do you sift through that to find like, for example, like the best vitamin C serum that you're trying, you know what I mean? Like, do you just, do you go off of your own personal results or like, you know, what's the research behind that for you? 
It is like an undertaking. Um, <laughs> I think the first, and obviously like, you know, I have one face and like only so many areas <laughs> to put products on. Um, yeah. My skin is also sensitive. So like the more I try, the more likely that my face like turns into a tomato. But um, I think a lot <laughs> of it is the first is I always look into like the brands. Like, what is this brand about? Like, do they have it, especially for skincare? Like, do they have a team of consulting dermatologists? Like, you know, are they, are these, these aren't just claims that they're pulling out of thin air. Like, do you have clinical studies? Like, are they third party or is it like something you did in house with like people who worked on making the product, you know? So I think it's a lot of like, you know, we can't all just take every like boost radiance by 90% at face value because we'd all be like, what are we doing here? You know? Um, so I think a lot of it's just digging into like looking to see like, what's their R&D team look like? Who are they working with to create this? Um, also, right. flip it over, like, is vitamin C the last ingredient on the ingredients label, you know? Right, like, right, yeah. Even, like, you know, I think the way that products are regulated in the United States is interesting where you can kind of say a lot and it doesn't actually mean anything. So as a consumer, it's really your responsibility, which sucks um, to have to make sure that what you're paying for actually is doing what it says it does. Um, and I think yeah. that's a place where editors and, you know, dermatologists and influencers can be really helpful because they're dedicating their time to sort of sifting through the thousands of launches and drops, you know, every yeah. month to find what works. Um, so yeah, I, I would say basically it's a mix of like trying things, looking into brands, looking into what studies they've done specifically for skincare. Um, I mean, sometimes it's even helpful to just look at reviews as a really good starting place. Like there'll yeah. be times where I'm just like sifting through Sephora, like looking at things and I'm like, oh my God, this has like 2005 star reviews. Like, what is this? You know? So it, it yeah. just, I think it's taking information from all different places to try to make a, like a really smart decision. I mean, that makes sense. A well-rounded approach. You know, I, I, I think that's pretty much how you should approach every single professional field, you know, and, and that's really good to hear that, that, you know, you kind of go off of also consumer feedback. I think that's very important because right now I think for skincare that I'm noticing at least is that there's a lot of brands obviously, um, but there it's almost as if um, the focus is not only on the skincare, but it's also becoming more around this, like, you know, the brand journey and the brand vision. And like, people are really trying to connect with their consumers on more than just a, you know, this is skincare, buy it. You know what I mean? Like they're, yeah. they're really trying to connect with people. And um, in terms of that, um, what are, do you have any advice for new brands about that? Because like, you know, I think that that's something that, you know, new entrepreneurs struggle with is, you know, yeah. I came out with this great line, but how am I going to connect to people? And how am I going to get people to not only buy it, but believe in what I'm doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really tricky question. I mean, I think first and foremost, there's so many brands that sell a wonderful brand journey story. And then mm -hmm. I try the products and I'm like, this is terrible. So I think number <laughs> one, you need to have a good product. Like, I don't care how good your story is or like where your magic ingredients are sourced. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So that's the first thing. Number two, I would say is, and I hate to like, I think this is the most overly used word in the beauty industry, but I hate to say the word authentic, but oh, I think yeah. there's like, there is a level that people can see through that, you know, like don't, don't make a, don't make an acne line and like then have pictures of Instagrams with not a single person with acne, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah like, exactly. Also, I think people 
there's, there's a really interesting balance. And we talk about this a lot of like imagery that's aspirational versus imagery that actually reflects the consumer. Um, so, yeah. you know, and especially with acne, when we write about acne, like, listen, who doesn't want to see a picture of like great skin in a magazine? You're like, oh my God, I want glowy skin like that. But also like, we need to see pictures that represent ourselves. And if we're going to talk about acne and like sort of, and even if a brand's going to talk about acne and say like, Hey, it's okay if you're breaking out, but if you want to try this and then not show any pictures of people with acne, like that's a really big disconnect. How can you connect with right. like that? Right. Um, so I, I think for me, I think, you know, I, I also think most people find brands now, like whether it's through a friend or through Instagram. So. Yeah. And that's why I'm actually asking you this because I think Instagram, especially, I'm not going to lie to you, you know, a couple of years ago when I was just looking at Instagram from this like influencer perspective and I had a lot of, you know, like fellow influencers I was following and stuff. It was just almost as if who took the better picture Mm -hmm. and did that sell the brand? And I had such an issue with that because don't get me wrong. I'm all about good marketing. You know what I mean? And it's, Mm -hmm. that's great. But like, it almost created this environment and this culture of, well, is it pretty enough to buy? And I think a lot of the products that were getting promoted were the products that was the $150 cream, you know, or like, yeah, it was just the packaging thing. So I used to always wonder, and this was like, even before I I started the podcast, like, how do people look at this? You know what I mean? Like, are you looking at it as if it's like, oh, I really need this for my skin because I don't have a good hyaluronic acid in my regime, you know, or are you saying I want that so that I could also take a picture like that and put it on Instagram yeah it's so interesting I mean I think that's interesting too as an editor like my first thing with packaging is like is this the correct packaging for the product like when I see vitamin c and like an open jar it makes my skin crawl you know I'm like this is definitely not stabilized so I think that's my first thing and then what I think is so important and exciting is that I hope and I feel and I'm trying to push through the content we create that packaging first and foremost is it sustainable is it is it eco-friendly is it is it not putting our planet in a in a worse position than it was before this product was made like I could not care less if it's like gold plated or millennial pink or (laughs) you know handmade wherever like can I recycle this like is is I think the first question we should all be asking when we're buying beauty products yeah I completely agree and I'm actually wondering um you know this is just my own thought is like where why when are we going to get to a point where it's like a single use sustainable thing you know what I mean like where you're not buying bottles and bottles and bottles of product like I know it's I think it's hard I think first off it starts with consumers demanding change you know so if all of a sudden people are just like nope I'm not I'm not buying face wipes anymore I'm not using sheet masks like not sustainable like that single use or like those skincare pods you know that you like open up put the mask on and throw the pot out I think people just need to be like I'm not using that and then you know if people don't buy it brands aren't going to make it right Uh, So I think a lot of it just starts with education. I still think when it comes to sustainability in the beauty space, people are like, this is something I feel like I know I should know about and I should care about, but it's very confusing. So I'm just going to like, let someone else figure it out. I mean, I see that mentality all the time and you can't blame people. I mean, like how where I don't know where you live, but like recycling is confusing everywhere. Yeah. Um, You know, the, the terminology of like what things are made with is confusing people, you know, so I think it's, it's twofold. We need to like be better as a society of explaining to people like the implications of, of creating trash and like yeah. where they're going. And then 
people understanding that situation and telling brands no like if this if there's not a refillable option for this shampoo or like this bottle I can't recycle or this isn't con- this isn't made from like PCR materials like I don't want it yeah exactly and I, I mean I get that I just wonder because you know I know uh, back like a few years ago dermatology was this like you know buzzword that people were using to sell skincare you know what I mean like medical mm-hmm. grade skincare or clinical grade skincare and now I feel like it's sustainability you know, and yeah. I think it's, and, and, and I'm wondering who are the experts we go to about sustainability? Because now everyone can say, well, I can go to a dermatologist and ask them, is this really going to work or not? But then you have another brand that's not even concerned about the dermatology side. They're just selling products. So, like, you know what I mean? Like solely based on their vision of being, you know, creating a more sustainable beauty world. And it's like, well, then who can I fact check you with? Because yeah. I don't no. know who the experts are. I totally feel you. And I find this so interesting. So it's like, okay, a beauty brand creates itself out of nothing with the premise of being sustainable and creating less trash. Like that's their angle. Well, that's interesting because there's already a gajillion beauty brands out there. There's already a lot of great sustainable ones. So why are you bringing another product and more trash to the space if like you're not giving me anything else? Do you know what I mean by that? So it's a it's a very interesting thing when I hear brands pitch themselves. Like my dream product would be like backed by clinical trials, like vetted by dermatologists, comes in sustainable packaging and like, you know, isn't ridiculously overpriced. Like, yeah, I can't more of that exist, you know, just like good solid skincare, tried into ingredients, but like not in, you know, superfluous plastic packaging. Exactly. And minimalism at its finest, right? It's like, yeah, like, like if you're really if you're really trying to be sustainable and if you really believe in that then buy, make a product that consumers don't need to buy 10 times in a year you know like exactly like, or yeah. focus your efforts on education because that's where the real hole right. is we don't right. need beauty brands we absolutely don't we need people to educate people on how to shop smart on like what ingredients skincare like are actually doing and like then what they can actually do with these products once they've finished using them Right. And also, you know, I, I run into those problems. So I can only imagine what you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. It's like sometimes when you're listening to those brand journeys where it's just like, well, I just really wanted it to be a great sustainable brand. I'm like, okay, well then let's, because you don't get any answers. You know what I'm saying? That, that was yeah. my, that was my point. It's like, for, if you ask a dermatologist, they're going to give you answers. And mm-hmm. if you're not getting any answers, it kind of like, for me, defaults me to asking, okay, well then let me ask you what you're doing for the environment are you working on a charity are you donating your you know what I mean your profits are you anything you know other than just saying hey I made a line and it's sustainable like okay (laughs) it's I think to your point exactly like who are the experts in sustainability well like there's thousands of them like self-proclaimed sustainability experts on Instagram but like what does that even mean you know yeah I think like you have a like it's a perfect example if I have a question on like a new ingredient or like the mechanism of how something works in skin, I can go to a dermatologist, a plastic surgeon, and I can be assured that they're answering, like they have authority where like, when I have questions, even in my own writing on like, oh, like this type of plastic, like can it be recycled, like whatever, like I don't, I'm very confused on who I'm going to, and I'm just doing my own research, which shouldn't be the answer. Right. It really shouldn't be because none of us are experts when it comes to the environment. And I, you know, and I'm thinking about the, when I think of the environment, honestly, Lauren, I think of EPA. 
you know, mm-hmm. environmental protective agency go, because why? Because I mean, from a research standpoint, I remember when I was younger, I did like a, a project on this fungus that was eating textile dyes that were, you know, being dumped into the oceans. And it was like, like for me, like that's what I think about when I think of sustainability, you know what I mean? Something that's really doing something to like take it away from the environment so that the our natural resources don't have to deal with that you know what I mean like digesting it and and decomposing it and all that so you know for me those brands again I want to direct them towards science and be like why don't you partner up with a lab or like a you know a researcher that's working on something that's going to help reduce the waste created by chemicals that are found in for example sunscreen or you know a lot of these products because a lot of them are very damaging to the environment right so it's like you you can even go in the science direction with that I just don't see anybody doing it yeah I definitely I mean there are definitely some brands who are partnering up with like TerraCycle which I think is like does an incredible job of educating and like helping collect people's empties so they can properly recycle them um yeah when I see brands like partner with like a to your point a sustainability expert that to me is like a good it's a green flag like okay like this I feel good about writing about this brand like they, they feel like they're, they're doing something right. Like telling me if you, if you pitch me your brand and you're just telling me that like, you know, this ingredient is made from wild crafted roses and <laughs> packaging is made with like plastic that you can then recycle. Well, I'm like, okay, well, number one, you still created new plastic. So there's a, yeah. and number yeah. two, I'm like, shouldn't the roses be in nature? Like, is there a better right. way to create like an ingredient in a lab that like is safe for our skin, but also like not taking away the earth's natural resources so i don't know there's a lot of and a lot of like question marks that like pop up in my head when i'm on these like brand zooms and dust sides and i'm like am i missing something you know but you know i'm gonna start i'm gonna start a hashtag for just this episode save the roses just for you (laughs) because i love it i love how you said that shouldn't i be in the environment where are my flowers trees need to purify our air shouldn't they stay in nature not on my face I mean yes yes so it's just really interesting like and I'm I'm really like super into that whole space like clean whatever people want to interpret that word is sustainable I think it's it's the future it's what people want it's interesting I just think there's a lot of ironing out that needs to happen before we can all fully embrace this and jump in well, that also concerns me too. And I completely, I completely 100% agree with you, by the way, especially with the word clean, you know, I think I've ranted about this enough in my previous episodes, but like, truly, like, can we please stop using and this to all the marketing all out there, right? It's like, can we stop using words before we understand what they mean? Because so by the time that the companies come around that are actually going to be doing this right, there's going to be, again, the same problem of saturation in the industry. So they're not going to be able to come up. Exactly. You don't want to like burn people out, you know, like if, if we're going to make better, smarter choices for ourselves and the environment, like let's do it right. And not just inundate people with like a thousand new products that they're just like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. I'm turning my brain off. I mean, clean exactly. is a really interesting word. I think, I mean, like, listen, I think you can, you can think of it two ways. Like, well, are the other products dirty? Like, no, obviously not. I think it's more of a word that we're just using to sort of group together as an umbrella term, these brands that are conscious of the environment and conscious of ingredient stories from a health perspective. I wish there was a better word for it because like quite literally, like doesn't mean everything else is dirty. Um, 
but I, you know, it's, it's interesting because clean isn't really natural, right? And no, it's not. Clean, it's not. Yeah. Clean isn't really sustainable, but it's kind of just like become this umbrella term for this category, which like, listen, editors use it because it's like, okay, well, brands like Sephora are using it. And that's how we're talking about these products. Well, like, okay. But until we find a better word or a better terminology, or until people are better educated to understand these sort of like nuanced subcategories under clean, it's, it's a murky and tricky conversation. Right. I completely agree with you. And I think that, you know, it's, it sucks because the editors can only write about what's available, right? You, you can only use the resources available. So I would love to see for anyone listening out there, if you're an entrepreneur or if you know somebody who is, let's work on that. You know what I mean? Like if you know a person starting a skincare line, maybe tell them to hold off a little bit and do, you know, do more research because I think there's a lot of like room for growth in the industry. Don't get me wrong. I really do. I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing, you know, coming out with self-care products. I think that's great. But like you said, at the end of the day, it's, it's just face cream, you know? And it's like, if you, you need to put a little bit more thought into it than just saying, well, I'm a single mom who loves face cream and I made it in my kitchen and here we go. And now I'm going to slap on 15 words that I can use as hashtags and I'm going to sell the crap out of this, you know? So yeah, it, it's that, just, that yeah. is like my biggest pet peeve. And I'm just like, also just because you like skincare and you've decided to like do DIY in your kitchen doesn't mean you're qualified to now sell products to people or give them skincare advice, you know? Yeah. And it's not even always about like, you know, it's not even about like, do you have the credentials to sell? You know what I mean? Something like that. It's more also, is your product even good? Because I, I made this point earlier about this one line. I don't know if you've heard of it, but Tallulah Skincare, they make the best, like Lauren, I, when I say the best, I'm not joking with you. It's like the shea butter and the, it's, it's a body I've butter. I've written about that brand before. I really like it. I did a Zoom, um, I think her name is Lauren actually, with the founder like a couple months ago. And she sent me a body scrub that literally smells like dessert. Yes. And, um, one of the shea butter, and they're amazing. I'm a very big fan. I mean, but also to her point, like, she's making those in small batches. So it's interesting. Some brands can like really nail it, but for every great brand like Tallulah's that I see, I see a thousand God awful ones. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing, but because, you know, I, I, I talked to, you know, the founder of Tallulah and I was talking to her and she's always, she was telling me, she's like, I just really want to get the name out there about my product. And I was like, you know, we were having this discussion kind of like the same thing, basically what you and I are talking about, but like from an entrepreneurial side. Right. And she was just like, I just want to sell good body butter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she was like, that's my goal. It's like, I know this stuff is better than ever, like 99% of the stuff I've tried because she, uh, I think like her journey was like, you know, she has eczema herself. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, her point was like, I'm making something really good. So why am I not making the millions and millions of dollars that I see somebody like drunk elephant making yeah. when my product is legitimately very, very good, you know? And it, that's, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about is like, don't saturate the market so that brands like this can't even come up into the limelight as much as they should. And you know what I love about her brand? I'm, I'm blanking on her name. I think it's is Alexis. Alexis. Yes. Alexis. Okay. Yep. Why I was like blanking, but I really love how, and this is something that I find really interesting is when small brands do a few things really well. Yeah. And you know, you don't need to have a thousand SKUs. You don't need to do this in like, 50 different flavors like I just really love when a brand can be like I like if you want a body scrub or you want a shea butter body cream like come to me like I am your person and I feel like being able to be that authoritative and be like no I make the best one is like very impressive to me 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, st uh, sticking to it, you know, if your first product doesn't work, don't make another one. You know, like try to figure out why it didn't work. Like that's, that's one of the biggest things. Like don't just keep coming out with products, fix the ones you have or yeah. take them off the market and then, you know, figure out why it didn't sell, you know, that kind of thing. So 100%. Yeah. I think we need more, we don't need more. We just need better. That's it. better. Exactly. Exactly. And even with clinical skincare, I know, um, for example, for me, um, you know, I always gravitated towards medical grade skincare, you know, um, especially because I had acne, you know, growing up. So it was like dermatology had a very special place in my heart. So, you know, even with clinical skincare, I see that now it's a whole different, you know, ballgame with clinical grade. Like I, I love, for example, Dr. Laura Dave Gunn's line. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She, her line is like hands. I think it's the best hyaluronic serum I've ever used the best retinol serum I've ever used, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, but it's still not, her line still doesn't have like 10 million followers. Like it should, you know what I mean? Or like, it's just, it's, it's nuts to me. It's like even science done right. Like what do we need to do to sell things to the masses, you know, like change the culture you know what I mean like change the marketing culture I guess I don't know I know it's interesting and I mean I think it's why like anyone who's an editor you're like your your space and the products you write about it's precious you know like you want to be able to like give room to brands and elevate brands who are just like really doing it right you know so every time yeah. I see a small brand like Tallulah or something else and I'm like god I love this and like I need more people to know about this. I think that's where editors and, you know, influencers, like that's our job is to be able to make sure that these small brands that are going to be like a game changer for people that they're aware about, they're aware of, even if they're not finding them at Ulta or Sephora. Yes, 100%. I totally agree. Well, you know, Lauren, I could honestly talk to you for ages. This is <laughs> awesome. Um, but I really want to ask you, um, what are your favorite products right now for skincare that you're using? Oh, this is hard. I know um, it's I the hardest question. Babies. So <laughs> I am very into like medically backed skincare as well. And I think anyone who's ever had like a real skin issue, like acne, eczema, hyperpigmentation, that's stubborn probably feels the same way. Cause you just kind of were like, I need the shit that works. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm currently really, I'm really liking Curology and Rory. So they're really similar, um, but they're how you like, take a, like a, do a consultation online and then you get, um, compounded a prescription grade or prescription strength cream. Um, so I, I have both, they're both like retinol as like compact, as like acid compounds. And I love them. I think they're great. Yeah. Um, I also really like how, you know, we don't all have the time or the resources to get to dermatologists, especially if you don't live in a city. So the fact that you can get that sort of one-on-one -on -one time with an expert and then a product specific for your skincare needs is I think yeah. so clutch and really, really cool. Um, yeah. So I'm a fan of that. I'm, I'm a big sunscreen user. I'm currently using the Say, um, uh, what is it? Their new sun visor, I think it's called. It's their sunscreen. I love it. And Ooh. I love lots of sunscreens. They just launched a new one. I'm such a fan. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, and Shawnee Darden's new eye cream, Obsessed. So oh, I never like, heard of it. Oh my God. It's so good. I don't, is it out yet? Like watch me spilling the beans and I shouldn't be, um, <laughs> but it's, it's so good. Um, so yeah, those are sort of the things that, uh, that I have, like, um, that I'm looking at right now in my nightstand and I'm like, Oh, I like this stuff. 
I love that you listed an eye cream. Eye creams are so tricky. Like I, they're, they're just so many and the, the good ones are hard to find. So I'm going to definitely check it out. Good one. You hold on to it. I used to think eye creams were nonsense. Um, and then I started using one religiously and I was like, they're not nonsense. They actually do something. They work. <laughs> I know I have actually, I have ptosis. And so for me, um, lid, you know, when I get really tired, one of my lids, like, you know, it just lags a little bit more. And I know that ever since I started using eye creams and well, new face has been a huge, you know, for me, it's been like a game changer, yeah. but like, it's definitely helped. You know what I mean? Like, and that's like an actual medical condition. And I just, I, I that's the kind of stuff I love. You know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. over the counter, but it works. And it's, you know, you see a real difference. So I hear you. Eye creams are, you know, hit or miss, but if they work, they work. <laughs> totally. And I'm a big CeraVe fan. I use, um, like a few of their cleansers and just their basic, they have a PM moisturizer, but you can use it for morning or night. It doesn't really matter. I'm yeah. a big fan of drugstore skincare that like really works. And I think CeraVe is a drugstore brand that you can, you, it's just great results. It's like a perfect to anything that's like, you know, you, you might buy an expensive serum and you want to say, okay, like, where can I save on a moisturizer? CeraVe is great moisturizer. Yeah, CeraVe, I think they make just beautiful products. I love their stuff. Yeah, I've really never used the CeraVe product I didn't like. And that's hard to say about a lot of any other brands. So. Same. No, same. I, I know it's it, that's very real, though. I mean, CeraVe really is one of those brands that, you know, I, it's dermatologist trusted. It's consumer, t- you know, trusted, editor trusted, you know, it's, yeah, it's and really, really good. Price and you're just like, and that that sometimes is what gets me. You're like, okay, this is a really good face wash. And it's a big size and I can conveniently get it at like the Dwayne Reed or the CVS by my house. Then like, yeah. why is this face wash, face wash at Sephora $78, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Things like that. And you're just like, okay, you know. Because it's, it's sustainable. Good. Lauren, it's sustainable. It has to be $78. <laughs> because it's Come on now. Fun. You have to sustain <laughs> the company. Shit. <laughs> it's because <laughs> it's well-crafted roses, okay? That's why it's $78. <laughs> We also threw some orchids in there. So the price is going to go up 20 extra dollars because there's some black orchids in the mix. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love it. I absolutely, actually, I might just start a line with you. It's going to be the botanical garden. Lauren Necta's botanical garden skincare. (laughs) Every overplaced flower we can find packed into a serum. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Lauren, though. This has been so, so fun. And um, I would love to have you back anytime. Yeah, this was a great time. I'm so glad we got to chat. Me too. And everybody out there, I hope you guys love the conversation. Um, Leave us some feedback. uh, Leave some questions for Lauren. And I will definitely pass them along to her. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, rate it, give us some feedback, you know, give us five stars because, you know, that helps us. (laughs) But um, I hope you loved it. And I'll be back next time. Thank you so much. Bye.